All right. Hey, so uh, if you guys haven't been here for a while, um, I want to remind you of kind of a rhythm that we've started here on Sunday nights. That's something that we've called Resource to Restore. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had Matt Fabin from FCA come in and speak to you guys about how you can be involved in your school and be a source of renewal and restoration on your campus and whatnot. But we want to take um, every month or so a Sunday night to dedicate to you guys being equipped to go out on mission for Jesus. Because this is great that you guys show up here and that you spend your time coming here and listening to uh, worship music, singing worship music, hearing the word being preached, encouraging one another. But at the end of the day, what happens in here needs to be carried into our daily lives out there, right? So that's what we dedicate these nights to called Resource to Restore. And tonight, the emphasis, if you've caught on, is about going to the nations, going to people that may have not heard Jesus elsewhere around the globe. And our own Luke Zirkel has a great opportunity. Yeah. Oh, wow. Claps. <laughs> has a great opportunity to share with us about that. So introduce Luke. And so now you clap. Now you clap. Okay. Yeah, guys. So uh, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to come, Taylor, um, and really share about something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, but so, like Taylor said, I kind of grew up in this church. I've been a member here for 10 years um, and was even here for several years before that. And so this church, this youth group, um, they just mean so much to me. And so to be able to come back and share a little bit of what God has been doing in my life and teaching me, especially in the last year or two, um, I don't know, it was just very special. So thank you guys for that opportunity. Ugh. Opportunity. So, uh, you know, I am going to talk about missions um, because I feel like God has given me a heart for missions, but I don't think that that is necessarily anything special um, because if we're believers, if we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, then to some degree, God has given us all a heart for missions. And so uh, I'm just going to talk a little bit about what missions is, why we do it, um, how missions is accomplished, and then share a personal experience that I got to have in Honduras this summer. But so I know a lot of times when we go on mission trips or mission opportunities, whether it's for a week or on a day where we're serving or whether we are going for multiple weeks to multiple years, you know, some missionaries, they just move and they don't come back. Um, you know, we go for different reasons. Um, and a lot of these reasons aren't always necessarily the right reasons we should go. You know, sometimes we go to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. Like, yeah, I'm a good Christian. I went on a mission trip. Or we go because, I mean, traveling the world is really just an incredible experience. And, you know, if we get to do that and say we're helping Jesus, then, yeah, like I now have a good reason to get to go. Um, or... Do we go maybe because we're Christians and people around us expect us to go or we have friends who are going on these things and so we're like, yeah, I guess I'll tag along because my friends are going. Um, and while some of these things are positive because, you know, when we step into doing mission work, doing gospel work, we are going to feel affirmed in our identity because this is what God has created us to do. When we get to travel the world, we get to see things that, like, it's all things that God created. And so we get a more full understanding of who God is. 
but those still aren't quite why we do missions. Um, when we go with these motivations, we make missions sometimes more man-centered, more about me and what I want and how I feel about it than God-centered. And as Christians, um, if our whole lives are supposed to be centered on the gospel and centered on God and what God has done for us and, and on who God is, then so must our approach to missions. You know, why we do it, what we do when we go, how we do what we do, all those things have to be centered on the gospel as well. Um, so how do we change our approach um, to missions? So first slide. So the first thing we have to realize is that missions comes directly from the command of God in his word. Um, a lot of times, you know, when we talk about missions, uh, there will only be one or two verses cited. I know just as I grew up, you know, I could, I could say Matthew 18, 28 through, no, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or uh, Acts 1.8, you know, where it talks about, you know, being Christ's disciples and making disciples in Judea and Samaria and in all the ends of the earth. You know, these are verses that, you know, we, we typically associate with missions, but missions is something that God has desired for his people from the beginning of time. When God uh, created mankind on the earth, he gave them a specific command. So even in Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter in all of Scripture, we see God's heart for his people to be worshiping him on the entire earth. And so, uh, I mean, I'm going to be rapid fire shooting through some of these verses, so you don't necessarily have to be flipping there because I'm going to be going quickly. Um, but... So yes, yeah, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. This is right after God has created man in his own image. And this is what he says. It says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, God says, Be fruitful and multiply. It's the first command given to man. And this, in this command, God is saying like, multiply, spread out. I want there to be more people who love and worship me because God knows that he is worthy of being worshiped. And so that was his desire for mankind, for mankind to multiply out, to spread out, and to stay in fellowship with him. And so as we know in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, mankind sins against God. Um, mankind is then separated from God. And things just kind of get progressively worse and worse from there, right? But around Genesis chapter 6, a man by the name of Noah is faithful to God. He's the only one on the whole earth who's been faithful to God. All these people, all these descendants of Adam and Eve have sinned against God. It's corruption everywhere, all kinds of terrible, nasty stuff, just the consequences of sin. And God decides he's going destroy to destroy the world with a flood. He's going to destroy everything, but he spares Noah because Noah was faithful. And so God, after he spares Noah and Noah's family, in Genesis 8, chapter, in chapter 8, verse 17, he gives Noah the exact same command. He, he tells Noah to bring all the animals off of the ark, and then he gives them the exact same command he gave Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply on the face of the earth. And again, this is like, only eight chapters in to the whole Bible. So 
Noah and his family obey. They begin to spread out, worshiping God with their lives. Um, and then, you know, as we see, sin continues to corrupt mankind. Genesis chapter 11, mankind is a little more spread out, but they're not quite as spread out as God wants them to be. And so, because they're not super spread out all over the whole earth, they begin to group back up together. And when they're together, they get arrogant, they get cocky, they get prideful. They say, hey, let's build this tower, and then we can touch God. We can do anything. And so God, God specifically confuses their language so that they're unable to do this. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. Because God takes all these people who all live close together and they're being arrogant together and they all speak the same language and he makes it to where they can't speak the same language anymore so nobody understands anybody else. And then from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. God directly played a role in taking the people of the earth and spreading them out over the entire globe. This is in Genesis 11. In the very next chapter we get what might be one of the greatest missional calls in all of Scripture, but that oftentimes we overlook because we don't necessarily associate the Old Testament with missions because missions is a new covenant, Jesus, Holy Spirit thing. But here we see that this is something that God had for his people. And so in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, God says this to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A lot of times I've heard it said that God hated all the other nations. He just loved Israel. Because Israel got the special treatment in the Old Testament. Yes, God blessed Israel through, through Abraham. Through Abram. Israel was descended from Abram, so they were the fulfillment of this promise to Abram, but they were blessed for one reason, and it was so that they could be a blessing to others. And God promised that all of the families of the earth shall be blessed in Abram, in Abram's line. And so even that claim, that God loved Israel more than anybody else, he just showed Israel all this special favoritism, that's just, it doesn't have a base, there's no backing to that. Because God blessed Israel so that he could specifically bless the other nations of the world. You know, as we leave Genesis and we move through the rest of the Old Testament, we see other times where these outside peoples, these outside nations are brought in by God to his people. You know, we want to, as we're looking at like the conquest of the land of Canaan, after Moses delivers Israel from the land of Egypt and their slavery there, and they're getting ready to get into the promised land after 40 years of desolation in the wilderness. They're getting ready to go in and they send, Joshua sends a group in to just check out this city that they're getting ready to raid. And Rahab, who is this Gentile prostitute, someone who is not descended from Abram, she's not in this special line, she, this, this line of blessing. She hides this, these spies that Joshua has sent in and says, man, We've heard, we have heard of God's people and what God did through them in Egypt. As long as you keep me and my family safe in this raid, yes, we'll cover for you. And so she submitted herself to the Lord, her and her family, 
And Joshua spared them. Joshua chapter 6 talks about how Rahab's family, when Joshua's people of Israel took the city that she was in, how Rahab's family was spared and brought into Israel. They lived the rest of their days with the people of Israel. This is somebody who was not part of the heritage of Abram, who God brought in to be with the people. You know, also, if we want to look at, like, the woman Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth was a Moabite woman. She was from the people who were from Moab. She was not an Israelite. But God sovereignly used what circumstances would normally look terrible. There was a famine. There was the death of a woman's husband and her sons. And yet, Ruth was brought into not just the people of Israel when she married Boaz and became Naomi's daughter-in-law, but also she, Ruth was brought into the line of Christ. God sovereignly used circumstances to go out of his way to bring this foreigner, a Moabite, into his people. You know, also, if we want to look at Jonah, like, if you know the story of Jonah, God sent Jonah to the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh were these just by all accounts of those times, just terrible people, just indulging in all kinds of sin. I know when I was little, I watched Veggie Tales, and the people of Nineveh, the Ninevites, were the fish slappers, and like, I don't know, that's pretty terrible. I don't want to get slapped in the face with fish, but what they were doing was worse than that, and so uh, but they were not an Israelite people. They were not part of God's blessed people, yet through Jonah, one of God's prophets, God commands Jonah to go to Israel and sends a storm and a big fish to make it happen. Sends Jonah to the people of Nineveh to say, repent. And the people of Nineveh repented of their sin and turned to the Lord. You know, all, you know we see this happen throughout Scripture, and it's not just in the New Testament. Missions does not just happen in the book of Acts. Missions comes directly from the command of God through his whole word. You know, and then later it is also affirmed by the words of Jesus, by um, the teaching of the apostles and the work of the apostles and the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Um, so the second thing we need to do to change our approach to missions, so if we can flip the slide, is we need to recognize that missions is only accomplished through the supernatural and sovereign power of God. I know a lot of times, like if I've ever gone on service days or mission trips, um, like I'll talk about later, I spent this past summer in Honduras. When I went to Honduras, like there was a part of me that wanted to say, oh yeah, I've got it figured out, I can do this, I can help these people. Like, man, God is the one who helps people. God is the one who draws people to himself. It's not necessarily something that we do. It's something that God uses us in, sovereignly and so sometimes supernaturally. You know, in Genesis 11, like we talked about with the Tower of Babel, like, it says that God dispersed the people of the earth. Whether that involved some kind of teleportation or whether God put things into their minds that said, we have to leave, the Bible isn't necessarily clear, but it says that God intervened and the people dispersed. God was the one who did the dispersing. You know, also, if we want to look at the conquest of Canaan, the conquest of Canaan is all about God's glory being put on display before the nations and it happens in all kinds of miraculous ways. God would bring down cities with the sound of trumpets. You know, there's crazy, miraculous, supernatural things that would happen. And it was God proclaiming his glory before the nations. 
you know, with Jonah and Ruth, like I just talked about, that was God's sovereignty over circumstances. God used a storm and a big fish to bring Jonah to where he needed Jonah to be to proclaim his name upon, upon, oh, among the nations. And with Ruth, God used a famine and death inside their family to point people, to bring Ruth into the blessing. You know, guys, I know in my life, because of my own sin, you know, it required a miracle for God to save me. For every man, woman, and child, it required the supernatural, the miracle of the sacrifice of Jesus and his death and resurrection for me to be saved, and it requires no less for any other man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. Man, God is about the supernatural because he is supernatural. You know, even today, this was very interesting. They were talking about that, this in one of my missions classes at school, how today God is using what is a terrible refugee crisis in the Middle East with civil war and famine and people flooding and having to leave their countries. The people of their own religion, Islam, are turning on them and killing them, and so they have to run. And so they run to Europe, right? And Europe used to be a largely Christian place. And these people get to Europe and they say, hey, I had visions of Jesus when I was migrating here. Who is Jesus? And so they go to these churches and they ask. And thousands of these Muslim refugees from the Middle East are coming to faith in Christ through God's supernatural and sovereign display of his power. Um, you know, God works sovereignly and supernaturally to accomplish his purposes and missions. Um, and part of that is him sovereignly and supernaturally using us. I know for me, for me to get to Honduras, it was not my plan to go internationally this past summer. I wanted to stay around here, either work at a local church, or I planned to work at the YMCA in Denver. Um, but God had other plans, and he sovereignly closed specific doors and opened other doors to where I was able to see uh, the direction that he was calling me. And that wasn't a me, yeah, I just want to go. I was kind of hesitant about going, but God sovereignly had me where he wanted me. And then thirdly, uh, the final slide, you know, we have to recognize that the sole pur purpose of missions is the glory of God. You know, like I was talking about before, we have these outside motivators sometimes. Um, you know, yeah, when we go on missions, we feel good about ourselves. We know that we're helping people. Or it gives us a good reason to travel internationally and see the world and do crazy new things. Um, or maybe we get to part participate in humanitarian causes, feeding hungry people, clothing people who are without a home and shelter. You know, we get to meet these physical needs but missions is not just this humanitarian thing with a Jesus twist. Um, missions is purposed with seeing the glory of God proclaimed among all the people groups on earth. Guys, like when we do missions, the glory of God has to be our priority. If we simply do it because we feel bad for these people who don't know Jesus, like that, that's gonna run out. You know, eventually our own capacities for compassion and empathy and wanting to help, you know, they run out. But the one thing that's not going to run out is the glory of God. The glory of God is so far beyond understanding and infinity to infinity and beyond, Buzz Lightyear. Like, 
God's glory is never going to stop. And when that is what motivates our missions, like, that is what is going to actually get things done. You know, uh, Psalms 67 uh, is actually very interesting. Another Old Testament passage that points us to God's heart for the nations. You know, here it is. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Guys, when we look at scripture, it is very clear that God's heart is for all people on earth to glorify and worship and praise him. Not because God has this ego problem, but it's because God knows that he is worthy of being praised. You know, all these other things that we want to praise in life, whether it's ourselves or whether it's celebrities or whether it's, I don't know, X, Y, or Z, but like God is the one thing that is worthy of, be, worthy of being praised and he knows that and that is why it is his command for us to be a part of that for us to be a part of making it known that God's glory is what is going to reign forever. Guys, so we, cannot, we, we have to be so consumed with the worthiness of the glory of God that we cannot stay silent. God is worthy of having every tribe, tongue, and nation fall on their face in awesome worship of him. And this is something that God is going to do. This is something God has been about since Genesis 1, the very first command to man. This is something that God has been working on. And it's something he is going to accomplish. The question is, what role are we going to play in that? And as Christians, I think we all have some role to play, whether it is filling an Operation Christmas Child box, whether it is going on a mission trip over the summer, whether it is spending an entire summer working here on mission. Guys, right next door is a mission field here in the States. Across the ocean is a mission field in the world. We cannot let ourselves be trapped by indecision or any of these other distractions that we forget how worthy God is of being praised and that we allow ourselves to sit back in inaction. So... Now I've got some pictures just to talk about what I was doing this summer um, because, like I said before, I did have a really awesome opportunity to go and serve in San Pedro Sula, Honduras this past summer. So first picture. Okay, so the group I was with this summer was called Sparrow Missions. So the basis of the group is, you know, the verse in the Bible that talks about how if God cares for even the sparrows, he will care for the least of these. Um, and that's kind of... The basis for Sparrow, Sparrow works with what it, what, who are considered the least of these in San Pedro Sula. So in San Pedro Sula, there are these communities that are basically like shanty towns. Um, they, ha they form along the riverbeds for people who are homeless. Um, there was a hurricane 20 years ago that destroyed half the country, and these are the people who were displaced and had nowhere else to go, and they've been here for 20 years. Um, but so, you know, you can see some of the tin and, like, some sticks, um, some, like, plywood. Like, 
I mean, it is, it's tough, like dirt floors, um, one or two beds for like a family of eight. You know, like you just kind of make things work. Um, and those are the people that Sparrow sends, spends the most time serving in these Bordeaux communities. And so I was able to partner along with them in that for this summer. So next picture. Uh, this is the same Bordeaux just looking the other direction. Like I took one picture and then spun and took that picture. Um, so a lot of what I did over the summer was I worked in Sparrow's ukulele workshop. So Sparrow does a lot of things in this Bordeaux community. They have a school for the kids. They have a women's Bible study. They have kids' Bible studies in the afternoons. And they have a ukulele workshop where they are teaching uh, like 16 to 22-year-old men like a skill so that they can honestly make money rather than getting involved in the gangs and cartels um, that are in that Bordeaux. And so I spent a lot of my summer building, well, helping build. All they would really let me do was glue things. Um, but, yeah, so this, the guy actually in the picture, his name was Camden. His family was the family that I was staying with. But this is a picture of the ukulele workshop. They handcrafted a lot of these machines. So, like, this specific contraption right here that, like, is kind of forming the outside, like, they had to come up with that on their own because they don't really have, I don't know, United States innovation. And so they drew the plans for the machines to even make the ukuleles, which is incredible. So next picture. So these are the guys who worked in the workshop. So that is Irving in the red, Angel in the black, uh, Luis in the other red, Cesar with his arms draped over the two guys, and then Victor in the green. And so those guys are um, just really awesome guys. They're like the leaders of all these kids in the Bordeaux who are just running around going crazy all the time. And they're the ones who work in this workshop. But so they are also very special because I spent like six or seven hours a day with these guys almost all summer long. And not only was I just helping them build ukuleles, but I was helping them practice their English because in... Let's see, what is today? Today's Sunday. So in six days, they are getting on an airplane and flying to India to be missionaries in India for like four months. Um, India is a closed country, but because these guys have a skill building ukuleles, they can go in under the name of teaching this other group how to make ukuleles, but really they're going to train disciples on how to build ukuleles and use the ukuleles to share the gospel in a closed country. So next slide. All right, so this is me with the boys again. This was on my last day. Um, on my last day in Honduras, we had uh, taken some time to go and play soccer. So uh, that was a very sweet time. I love them. I miss them. Um, so a lot of what I also did was at times when I wasn't actually in the workshop, the workshop is right next door to the school that Sparrow has. And so I spent probably four or five hours a week in this second grade classroom um, with, I think it's 12 to 15 kids with one teacher. Um, there's like one fan in the room. Um, and Honduras is very close to the equator. So nice and warm, nice and sweaty with 15 kids running around. Um, and it's just, it was Really interesting to see how like God was even using the teacher to pour into the lives of second graders. Yes, she's there to be their school teacher, but she's also there 
to love them and serve them in ways that a lot of times their parents are not. Um, so next picture. So yes, this is Jefferson. Jefferson was in that second grade class. He was hiding behind the teacher for some unknown reason. Um, so a lot of what Sparrow does, the way that Sparrow funds their school, the way that they take care of these kids is they have a sponsorship program. Um, so about a week and a half in, Jefferson is like climbing all over me and we're playing and someone was like, hey, like he doesn't have a sponsor. Like, yes, Sparrow is still paying for him and supporting him, but they're losing money doing it. And so I prayed about it. I talked to my mom and dad about it. Um, and I'm in the process of finding a job to support it. But I am Jefferson's sponsor. And so that means that I get to write letters and uh, send video messages back and forth that get translated. Um, or sometimes I try to do the translation because I know un poco Spanish. Um, but so Jefferson is in second grade. Uh, next slide. I think there's one more picture of him. Yeah, that's him. Um, but he lives in the Bordeaux and he goes to the school. He's precious. But yeah, so next picture. So a lot of some of the other stuff I would get to do is I would also get to work with some of the other ministries that Sparrow partners with in the city. So this is at a special needs boys orphanage where they have one lady, maybe two on a good day, who takes care of 13 to 17 special needs boys ranging anywhere from like two and a half years old to 23. Um, and it was a really tough situation, but... I don't know, it was really, really cool to see the faithfulness of some women who weren't being paid. They didn't get paid. They volunteered, and every day they would go in and take care of 17, 13, however many special needs boys um, from, like, sunup to sundown um, just to see their faithfulness. But, yeah, so next picture. Um, Sparrow also facilitates summer mission trips for teams from the States. And so some weeks we would spend, um, I spent like two weeks out of the summer walking with the team and helping try to translate. I'm not, like I said, un poco Spanish. So, uh, but um, helping them kind of wrestle through a lot of like these big questions. Why am I here? What am I doing here? What is God doing here? What role, what role do I play in that? Um, so this is one of the teams that came down and they had a big green monster for a show for the kids, and the kids went nuts. It was really funny. But next picture. Um, and then finally, this picture, and then the last picture. Um, I spent three afternoons a week teaching high school students um, English classes because one of the only ways you can make honest money in San Pedro was through uh, knowing English because lots of the other groups where you're not required to know English, there's a lot of corruption. Um, but when you're doing, having to speak English, you're typically working with um, foreign Americans. And so uh, those groups are typically run with less corruption, more honest money. Um, and so a lot of what Sparrow did was have English classes for kids as they got older and got out of uh, the school program. But so, you know, a lot of what I did does for some look like that just humanitarian stuff. Yes, we fed the kids. Yes, we played with the kids. And we helped those who are the least of these. But the purpose of that is not in the helping. The purpose of that is not in, the, uh, in me feeling good about myself. The purpose in all that is that the glory of God would be proclaimed. And I just had my mind blown over the summer 
at the way that God's heart moves for the nations. Um, and so I hope that tonight you guys have caught on to a little bit of that um, and that you guys would begin to think and kind of process through what God's role for you among the nations might look like. All right, I'm going to pray to uh, close us out. Well, not close us out, and then the band is going to come back up, I think. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this opportunity, this time, just to come and talk about uh, just your faithfulness in my life, God, but also uh, just the heart that you've given me um, for the people of San Pedro Sula, but also, God, um, just the heart that you've given each of us as your sons and daughters for the other people on this world, God. Not because we feel bad for them, but because we know how glorious you are and how worthy you are of being praised. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. God, help us to love you and serve you more each day. It's in your name I pray. Amen.